0: Hello Pacers fans and welcome into another Sideline Guys powered by Gainbridge alongside Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan and I guess this is the beginning of the podcast becoming more regular. The media day has passed. We are in the I guess, period of time between media day and preseason. So we don't have uh, any even preseason games to go off of. That said, we have had a media day, a chance to talk to a good majority of the players, a chance to talk uh, with the coaches, and we have gotten to see a couple of practices. And I think this time of the year, there's probably always a lot more questions than answers, maybe more cliches than there are uh, concrete responses. Uh, But at the same time, this moment in time this training camp it feels I think a lot different than any that you or I have covered um, both from just the infusion of youth um, to things that you're hearing from the coaches and players about goals this season it's always an optimistic time but what have your takeaways been here so far JJ?
1: It is very different I found myself at the conclusion of media day thinking That was just a little bit different. I think it's maybe the 10th year that I've sat down and had, you know, an eight to 10-minute conversation with every player on the roster and the head coach going back to uh, the 2013-14 season, actually. I was a pregame producer and actually did the interviews that year. So I've been a part of this media day, optimism, hope for the season kind of uh, line of questioning, and this one was different, and I'll get – my media day recap in a minute, but I have to say, I'm glad you were able to open up about an hour in your week uh, to do the the little old podcast because uh, I had Ted Wu at practice come up to me and say, I I heard the news about Pat and I'm like, where was that? Oh, it was on Fox News. Well, I think it was Fox 59. And then uh, we know you and Alexa were on Inside Edition, where that's about to be on. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so I haven't seen the clip yet. (laughs) And it's an unfortunate... Uh, reaction to what you're dealing with this week, but uh, we're glad that you're going to still have a wedding coming up this weekend. Your your family is is going to all be able to be here, and and obviously our thoughts are with everyone in the eye of the storm, Hurricane Ian. So just an unfortunate set of circumstances for you personally, though.
0: That's the most important thing here. Is look, there's there's more at stake this week. Uh, in Florida than a wedding Uh, to fill in the gaps for some who maybe don't know. We are recording this podcast in person. We are next to each other. I always appreciate when we get the opportunity to do that. I think they're just a little bit better when you and I get to do it in person. Uh, but this is not exactly what I had planned for uh, Thursday, two days before. We're about You should not hours. have even been here, right? <laughs> I shouldn't have been. No, I should not, I should not have been in Indianapolis. But uh, obviously, there's the hurricane down in Florida. We had a Florida wedding. You always know there's an outside chance of something happening. But the odds are so slim that you really don't make any major decisions, I think, around what is such a small percentage and um, unfortunately we have hit the jackpot as it relates to small percentage chances so we have been I mean you buy a lottery ticket Uh, I was just thinking like if the odds worked in a positive way that they are in a negative way like what would be the positive impact I'm not saying it's mega million stuff but it would be when I heard it's the fifth
1: Largest hurricane to hit landfall in the United States ever.
0: And, yeah, and and I think the maybe the largest since 2007 to hit Florida. So what are the odds there? Um, and and obviously I you know I, I've got in fact a very good friend who's in Fort Myers right now. His family was there. His family lives there, and he went down there. Um, before what was supposed to be our wedding, to meet up with his family for a couple of days and then drive the hour up to St. Pete. He's okay. It seems everybody um, that he knows over there is okay. But that's where our thoughts are with uh, first and foremost. But yes, we, we got a call. In fact, um, it ties, it has a Pacers tie. We got a call right in the, about two hours into media day uh, on, uh, on Monday that, sorry, we have to cancel your wedding five days ahead of the wedding. So we have been so fortunate. Um, there have just been so many people that have reached out to help. Uh, My phone is literally buzzing as we're talking. I've gotten a call and a text from somebody from two different people, um, trying to help. And we our next door neighbors, um, I think it's okay to say the the restaurant and and brewery they own, own Taxman Brewery downtown, actually right next to the Fieldhouse, and they opened up their venue for us. And bottom line, we have just been overwhelmed with the amount of help and support that we have gotten, that we are going to have a shotgun makeshift indie wedding here this weekend, and then we are hopeful to still copy and paste the original plans in St. Pete and kind of do a wedding celebration next year. So I'm not supposed to be here. However, it has been nice to take in training camp because I was going to have to miss a good portion of camp and was in fact going to come back uh, the night before the first preseason game so that is helpful and uh, you know as we transition here to what we have seen so far I I was looking at the roster and I I don't have that exact number in front of me because there have been a few cuts but at one point on the Pacers roster there were nine guys who were 22 years of age or younger and if you think about that I was 22 when I graduated college, so there were was at one point at least nine different players that have been, for at least for a portion, signed by the Pacers that are young enough that if they really wanted, they could still be in college, and I was having this conversation with Mark Boyle yesterday. This has to be, Rick Carlisle's been through a lot, went through a rebuild in Dallas, but this has to be the youngest team he's ever undertaken, and I think I started to get this feeling as the season kind of turned last year and and you saw Rick Carlisle kind of make a a transition of understanding that this group was not going to, for example, get the four seed uh, in the East and it really seemed like the part of his job he was enjoying the most was the ability to work with, the ability to kind of uh, mold a lot of the young guys on the roster and help them grow. And that has been backed up, I think, by everything he has said um, and and seems to feel right now. This is a a really unique opportunity for this franchise. And they've got a guy who came here for a very different opportunity in Rick Carlisle. But it seems like he's embracing this opportunity, uh, perhaps maybe even in a way more so than the original one he thought he was coming in here for.
1: All of the things that you just said are accurate. And when Rick Carlisle addressed the media on Monday before he went around to some of the different stations, I believe he said it's a new era of Pacers basketball. He acknowledged, uh, you know, we probably on the podcast and maybe we could get some help from listeners. I want to try to figure out a description for this season and what is going on and, and not have a re before it. Rebuild definitely isn't what anybody wants. I don't think – I mean, it's a little cliche. It. I don't know that – I mean, it's it's kind of accurate. But let's – I feel like the new era is a good way to describe it. Um, and it's something that Rick Carlisle is 100% behind. I mean, I asked him about that when he came to our room for the, the Valley Sports Media session about, you know, you had obviously came here last season with – you know, a kind of team that was in position to maybe take that ne- next step. And I asked if he was energized by this challenge and this opportunity. And he said, everyone is energized. I mean, and I feel that energy. And you could say that you could go back and I'm sure listen to, to many of the podcasts over the years and everyone is optimistic and has energy in the first week of training camp. But as Kevin Pritchard, I think, said last week as well with uh, an informal media session that he had, this isn't something that happens with just, one person saying, let's do this. There has to be buy-in throughout the organization to go in this direction, to have, as you mentioned, such a young roster, and to go into a season where, let's be honest, I did not ask any players specifically about playoff goals or top four seed goals like I have almost every other time I've done Media Day. And I did have some players who brought up seasons where not much was expected and look at what happened. I mean, we could go back to the 2017-18 season. It's it's a season we talk about a lot, and in no way am I trying to compare what, what happened that season and what could happen this season. But I believe it was Miles Turner who said nobody thought that year the Pacers would be anything, and – there were some rankings. The one that always stood out was the the Zach Lowe League Pass rankings. It wasn't. I don't think people thought the Pacers would be thirtieth in record that season. But there were low expectations. There were a lot of people who said this team will not be a playoff team. And look what happened. They were in that that four five game and were within a basket or a goaltending call or whatever that series from knocking off LeBron James. And it was a great season. I don't. I'm not here sitting here telling you that that's going to happen this season. But I do think the players are working hard. They're learning concepts. They're getting better. And they're going to go into this season with a little bit of a, hey, nothing to lose. Nobody expects anything from us. And, and with that, you're going to have some teams who overlook you. So there are going to be a lot of games this season where maybe some team goes and plays Memphis or Cleveland or Milwaukee, and then they come and they play the Pacers at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, and they may if they think they can relax or catch their breath or get an easy win, I don't think that's going to happen against this team. And so we'll see what happens, but we're not going to sit here and project wins and losses and, and place in the standings. But I will say that from what I've observed in, in the practices and then just kind of listening to everybody and what they had to say um, at media day, everyone's on board with what's happening and everyone seems to be embracing the opportunity that they have individually and I'll even bring this up right now because I do feel like it was probably something I did not ask a lot of different guys about Miles Turner because you know some of them hadn't played a lot with him some of the new players and to be perfectly honest I wasn't sure going into this season I know he's the starting center but there is a little bit of uncertainty truth be told and you know, Miles Turner is someone who, to me, is handling his situation as well as anyone could have expected. I've seen him lead in practice. He is one of the most vocal players. He's working as hard as I've ever seen him work. And it'll help the team. It, at some point, will help him. He has a lot to play for individually um, as well. And so I, what I feel like, and this is a long-winded way of, of kind of sharing my thoughts for the first week, the Pacers are building a new team. It's a new era. But with that, everyone has an opportunity to individually help themselves and then in turn help the team. So there are a lot of different storylines that we're watching in this first week in preseason. Uh, The games will be fascinating to watch, but I do just like the fact there's no selfishness that I'm seeing. However, everything will take care of itself, I think, if everyone plays to the best of their ability individually.
0: You and I started this podcast leading into the 2016-2017 season. So we probably, our very first episode was probably right around this time six years ago. And right around this time every year, I think you and I have talked about where the ceiling and where the floor is for this team. And, and always, since we have started this, the ceiling, I think almost every single year, I think it was at least realistic to say if things went right, except for uh, maybe the 17-18 season, which is the ironic one, because they ended up uh, almost getting a home first-round playoff series. But I think that was, if things go, if everything goes right, uh, that four seed or that three seed is not out of the realm of possibility. And they got there in the 2019-20, uh, sorry, the 18, no, the 1920 season, which was interrupted by covid And the 17, 18 season, they got really close. You also had years like last year uh, where they were more toward the floor than the ceiling. And I think that's what makes this team right now so interesting is I'm not going to sit here by any means and suggest that the ceiling is a top four seed. It's not. Uh, But I am going to say I really don't know what to expect. And I think the most likely scenario, and Kevin Pritchard touched on this a little bit when he spoke uh, with media about a week, week and a half ago, is that you've got a young team with a ton of athleticism and a lot of budding talent. That talent is not always going to show up game in and game out. And that youth is probably going to show up a whole lot. You're probably going to have some stretches this year, especially those road trips where – Recent history, the Pacers have done pretty well on big road trips. We go into these you know, um, monumental, kind of threatening road trips. You play five games out west that include Lakers and Warriors, and you go, you got to keep it together here. And historically, since we've been doing this podcast, the Pacers have done a nice job at those. I think you probably have to look at those, for example, a little bit differently when you've got a team this young. And there's going to be probably a lot of stretches where you remember just how young this group is. At the same point... I mean, let's just look at some of the the guys that are going to be playing significant minutes. Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Jalen Smith, uh, Ben Matherin, maybe Aaron Nismith, and uh, Isaiah Jackson. And all of those guys we have seen in different varying levels of significant flashes where you go, wow, this guy could really turn into something significant, and maybe his individual ceiling is is still fairly high so i expect while i I think it's important to temper expectations and understand the bigger picture and the i won't use a reword either i'll just say build uh the build that is happening right now i think it's important to understand that right now is not anywhere near the finished product and to get where the finished product needs to be um, you might need a year of this, where expectations are, where the front office, I think, has has very clearly placed them. That said, I, I think there's so much intrigue from an individual player perspective. Like Tyrese Halliburton, oftentimes you see guys make their biggest jump year two to year three, and so what can Tyrese Halliburton be? I think everybody um, in this building agrees that Halliburton has the ability to be a perennial all-star. I'm not saying this year is going to determine that, but Typically, year two to year three is where a guy really starts to figure it out. And he's figured it out pretty well in his first couple of years. Do we see a version of him that makes us think, wow, this guy is going to be one of the best point guards in the NBA, one of the top point guards in the NBA for uh, the very long term? Chris Duarte's fascinating, right? He got off to a fantastic start last year and then dealt with some injuries. We know the Jalen Smith story. I'm not going to get into each one of these guys uh, necessarily here by myself, although feel free if anybody's interesting to you <laughs> to delve in a little bit deeper. But we saw flashes from Jackson. We saw flashes from Taylor. Aaron Neesmith was a high draft pick. And Ben Matherin's maybe the most interesting guy of all of them here coming into camp and coming into the preseason.
1: As you watch this team this season, I think it's the one time that I think it's okay to watch now and think about two or three years from now. And you're watching the start of this, let's say those two players, Ben Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton, and you, and you can look at them and I want you to like watch them this season and then say, with two or three years of on-court chemistry, off-court chemistry, For Matherin specifically learning the NBA game and then think about this two or three years of Pacers strength and conditioning I mean I look at Ben Matherin right now and he comes into the NBA as physically impressive for his size as as anyone I can recall I mean he and if he gets stronger I mean there might be a limit to what I'd want him to do in terms of Uh, muscular tone because you don't often see basketball players that look like bodybuilders. And I'm not saying he's to that point right now, but let's just say in terms of speed, quickness, learning how to play the NBA game, think where those two guys can be in in two to three years and then just go down the list because what you're trying to do if you're the Pacers and, and we've heard this, I'm curious your thoughts, Pat. We've heard the Memphis Grizzlies mentioned a lot and I think it's, it almost has caught me off guard a little bit because you don't want to give another franchise in the Midwest too much credit. However, I think there's a real admiration inside the Ascension St. Vincent Center, especially in the front office area for what has happened in Memphis with an organization that is in a small market. And I'll even go so far as to say, it's not the basketball market that Indiana is. and. And I would say three or four years ago, going to games at the FedEx Forum, it was fun because you were outside of Beale Street, but there, there wasn't much cachet or buzz to that. And, and if someone even had to ask me, honestly, three years ago, four years ago, what would be a franchise that might be in trouble or could move? It would have been on my list of about two or three. And now look at it. It's one of the hot spots in the NBA. They're a championship contender. I don't think that's any stretch to say that. And there's just so much hope and optimism. And that's in a pretty short amount of time. They had a couple of lean years. And if you can hit on two or three drafts in a row, and then you start to supplement the roster with the guys that are the fourth, fifth, sixth best player on your team, and those guys are better than the fourth, fifth, sixth best player on the other teams, that's how you win big. So to me, Halliburton and Mather, and that's where it sort of all starts for this um, reconstruction I, I believe you said so I'm revved up that's another r word I think that's the theme of the season right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> revved <laughs> yep, yep so I'm revved up for the reconstruction uh, but it all starts with those two guys and you're excited about guys like I mean Terry Taylor Aaron Neesmith what will he become but if you can at the end of this season see those two players Matherin and Halliburton and even maybe to some extent, I'll even throw Chris Duarte in there because I don't think anybody really knows what his, for being an old rookie, I still don't know what his ceiling or how good he can be. Could he be your fourth, fifth, sixth best player? And and what should he be? I and mean, to me, that's where it, what it all comes down to, is how do you, how does your player in that position compared to the players you're playing against, and. Uh, I, I'm going to be watching a lot. And and Halliburton, we'll spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about him. But in the week before training camp, I watched him training camp with Tyrese at the Riverside Sports Center, put on a training camp for free for kids, and led it from start to finish. Was vocal, was active, was enthusiastic, and I've not seen him any differently any other time this offseason and now in the first week of training camp, whether on the court or whether facing the media. Um, I've just appreciated everything. So the only thing I'll say is don't change.
0: (laughs) Let's just have this Tyrese, uh, moving forward back to the point that you were making previously about Memphis. Like, let's go back. I, I haven't looked exactly at this, at this timeline, but I would imagine it's pretty close to being correct. Let's go back to, the 17-18 season, which which we have discussed, and, and LeBron James is at the tail end of his Cleveland run, and then maybe early into 2018 or so. And during that time, at least close to it, the Memphis Grizzlies are experiencing the end of the Gasol and Randolph run. It's clear that, um, at least where they hope to be, they're not going to get there anymore. Their best days are behind them. Cleveland is watching the best player in the NBA leave their franchise for a second time and neither of these teams are in big markets as you noted Memphis is is maybe the smallest market uh, in the NBA and Cleveland while a decent sized city is obviously not a major market either so both of these teams just four years ago were in a position where you might make the case again I'd have to go back and look closely to know if you'd say this definitively but you might make a case that if you were to say if you're a GM and you and you're taking over or if you're a fan and you could be a fan of any of these 30 teams which two might you rank at the bottom you might say Cleveland and Memphis at that time and look where both of those franchises are now you did a nice job of detailing Memphis Cleveland's in a position where they hit on Garland they hit on Mobley and then they had the assets and they've had a couple of other draft picks higher up that have maybe not missed but not been major hits like Mobley or Garland but then they had the type of assets to acquire somebody like Donovan Mitchell the Pacers are really where those teams were Um, back then although I would argue they're in a better spot because those teams did not have a player like Tyrese Halliburton and did not have a number six pick coming up and did not already have two first round draft picks in Duarte and Jackson but they're more similar to those teams then than they are to those teams now but I think it's also important to note the Pacers have done an excellent job at acquiring a ton of assets maybe not Oklahoma City level assets but a ton of assets to where if they ever could get in a position like this where you hit on a couple of draft picks you maybe have the ability to do what Cleveland has done uh, and, and go after something like Donovan Mitchell, you just never know where the NBA landscape is going to be. It's impossible to predict a couple of years from now. But that's, I think, a situation you're setting yourself up for as well. You look at Memphis and you hit big on Jaron Jackson Jr. and, of course, on John Morant. And if you look at Cleveland, you hit big on Garland and Mobley. And in, in Memphis's situation, they then hit late in the first round on somebody like Desmond Bain. So it's an example that it takes – multiple first-round draft picks to hit. But at the same point, the Pacers got a kickstart in this by getting Tyrese Halliburton because they traded for a first-round draft pick that's very likely to hit at a high level. So they're almost like a year ahead of those teams in that regard. But it's it's a challenging strategy. It's easy to look at those two teams and you know kind of start – Uh, frothing at the mouth a little bit on what the potential is, because the potential is great. It's very, very high. But you look at a couple of other franchises that you probably would have put far ahead of those teams four years ago, like Sacramento and Minnesota. Minnesota is now doing an excellent job, but it took them, what, 15 years to get there. And everybody knows Sacramento's story, and that's the risk of doing something like this. So, uh, you know, the Pacers are putting themselves in a position where they are willing uh, to take some risk, willing willing to drop their floor with the understanding that it's going to also massively raise their ceiling Tyrese Halliburton is probably the most important player as it relates to that Ben Matherin may be a close second but what does Ben Matherin become assuming that we know Tyrese Halliburton and uh, about what he's going to become or at least have a pretty good idea that he's going to be at minimum a very good NBA player Ben Matherin is the first real box to check what kind of guy is he? Is he a foundational piece that has the ability to make multiple all-stars? And if so, then you've hit with Tyrese and you've hit with Matherin, and I think you have really come out of the gates running here from a big-picture standpoint. You had Isaiah Jackson, you had Chris Duarte into the mix, and you've got three more first-round draft picks. But it's vital, it's absolutely vital that you hit when you have these earlier draft selections. We'll get our first look at Ben Matherin right away. And I, I don't know, do you think – is it is it too early here, only a few practices in, only media day in? We haven't even uh, seen him play in a game outside of Summer League. Is it, is it too early to put any, I guess, hopeful expectations on Ben Matherin as we get started here? You
1: know, I was scrolling through NBA TV the other day just seeing what kind of you know, opening week programming they had, and they had some media day recaps, but they, they had a program that was, I think, Kia forecast, and it was forecasting the rookie of the year And I I thought for a second, because a lot of these national shows and podcasts, let's be honest, they're probably not going to spend a lot of time, at least early in this season, breaking down the Pacers. But that might be one area where you could go into a season, and and in terms of potential, the kind of player that's going to get, you know, playing time, numbers, opportunities to score, and be in those kind of highlights that can go viral, why would Ben Mather not be in your top – Four to five list of rookie of the year candidates. I mean, he was drafted sixth, so it's not anything earth-shattering or breaking news-wise to say that Chet Holmgren, Holmgren's not—he's not, not going to be eligible for rookie of the year. So he's already in the discussion, but it is something to watch and to consider. And I'm not—I think that he is going to have some. This is the NBA. This isn't the Pac-12 type of uh, learning curve to go through. This season, but the thing that I like most about him, and it's the one thing that Chad Buchanan, Kevin Pritchard, Rick Carlisle will bring up when asked about him specifically, is his competitive nature and just what he brings to the court. You're not going to see him come into a game and relax, even though at times you could say Pac-12 basketball is not as—I don't know—is this bad for me to say, Pat that. You know, a Pac-12 game may not be as physical or an, as intense as maybe a, a Big Ten game. Do I we think, have Big I, Ten bias there? I think or? that's probably accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of it more in, like, football. A lot of times Pac-12, they'll play these shootouts. And yeah. um, it, the NBA is going to be intense. But he, to me, doesn't fit the stereotype of, a you know, maybe a relaxed Pac-12 player. Now, the Pacers have had a lot of guys come from the Pac-12. So I'm not necessarily saying everybody comes in and and it's more of a – you know, laid-back style, but that is the opposite of Ben Matherin. So, um, I I think that it's going to be fun watching him. I love just the the fire that he plays with. Also, I'm getting ready to voice some radio spots here because that's what I do at the beginning of each season, and you'll hear those on the Pacers radio network. I wish I had his pipes i mean (laughs) yeah now we got to get him to come out of his shell a little bit during interviews and that always comes that's another observation i did want to quickly hit on i love watching the growth from year one to year two from players and you know chris duarte last year was really shy and now he still is a little bit shy and reserved but i love the enthusiasm that he even talks with us whether it's off the record on camera off camera But Isaiah Jackson, I can remember last year, he was really shy and reserved. And he was one of my best interviews of media day. And to me, it's all part of the picture. I love when when a guy is is a good talker and and embraces that part of the job. But I do think there's a confidence and a comfort level that does translate to on the court a little bit. I mean, you can't just say, oh, this guy's a good talker. He's going to be a good basketball player. But I've seen the growth in Isaiah Jackson. I wish I had Benedict Matherin's pipes. And then if we get him to come out of his show a little bit, he's going to be, I think, a fan favorite in terms of uh, interviews as well.
0: I'm glad you brought up Isaiah Jackson because we are, oh, 30 minutes into this podcast or so, and we haven't really touched much on him other than listing him uh, with the young guys. And I think – that has kind of become its own, to me at least, interesting storyline, which is Isaiah Jackson showed some serious flashes last year. Now, he also showed some serious rookie moments. He was in foul trouble a ton. He unfortunately dealt with a lot of injury. We have this discussion about what do you have with some of these guys, and I think I remember going on Kevin Bowen and Jake Quarry's show late last year, and arguing that Isaiah Jackson might be the most intriguing guy in this franchise right now. Well, you know, you, you've added Tyrese Halliburton. He obviously comes with a, a lot of intrigue and interest, naturally. You have the number sixth overall pick, and that tends to happen. And, you know, add in some movement and, and Buddy Heald into the picture and Miles Turner returning, I think Isaiah Jackson to me is a little bit under the radar. And I say that not saying that the guy's going to come out and average 16, nine and three blocks. I I frankly don't. I think he's going to be with the second rotation, but I think he's got a healthy Miles Turner to learn around, which I think is significant. And I, I think oftentimes guys that struggle with foul trouble they just figure it out i mean i remember sitting here on this podcast a few years ago worrying about Demontis sabonis going into the starting lineup and getting more like 36 minutes instead of 24 because the guy would get 5 in 24 minutes and i was worried he wasn't going to stay in the game and it just kind of figured its way out so i i also think he's somebody he's a tremendous athlete he probably needs to get a little bit bigger and stronger halliburton fits into that camp too uh, if he's going to be the guy in the middle you know, he's going to battle with a lot of physical and imposing type of players. And so I, I do think he has a lot to grow from an overall defender standpoint, but I think his athleticism and uh, his, his natural rim protection skills make him fascinating. And, you know, it, it's also interesting because I never bring up this stat, but I've had I think Rick Carlisle and maybe either Kevin Pritchard or Chad Buchanan bring it up on their own in the last couple of weeks where the Pacers, I think, had the fewest dunks in the NBA by February or something last year. And that's not really a stat that necessarily always translates into wins, but I do think it's it's a microcosm. It's a high-percentage shot. It is a high-percentage <laughs> shot. And I think it's a microcosm of what... Maybe some of their issues were last year, and things are going to be very different. The athleticism here is going to be off the charts. And, and I don't know, may, maybe it would be a good battle between Matherin and Jackson for who is the, the most freak athlete now on the roster. But I do think Jackson has maybe been just a little bit buried here because of all of the other intrigue and interest with other guys that have come in. I'm fascinated to see what he can do
1: what I'm interested in seeing, and I don't know that we will know for a while, but maybe at the end of the season, you'll have a better idea of can Isaiah Jackson be a starting center and a guy that you play 30 minutes or is he, and this would not be a negative either. Is he a sixth or seventh man type of center that, you know, because of some foul trouble, but can give you a ton of energy and maybe is the guy that's finishing games. I mean, the foul trouble, I think, will ha- it'll take care of itself. I'm not as concerned about that, like you've been saying. Guys figure that out. So I'm not as concerned with that this season. But uh, if he played 30 minutes a night, I'm not sure how many of those nights he doesn't at least get four fouls. So um, it's something to watch. And then also the durability. Had some different issues with injuries last season. So uh, I think that's the thing that I'm going to be watching. This team currently has uh, no shortage of centers (laughs) and and you can, you know, four fives, you can always put those uh, positions together a little bit, but at at the end of the season, you want to have a, a, I think, a more defined hierarchy. Now, sure. You're going to have one, two, maybe even three, even though I feel like that's a little bit of a stretch that you would draft three players. If you had all three first round picks, so that could shake things up a little bit as well. But who's going to separate themselves, and what's the clear rotation? And you know, we've been—I've enjoyed watching the, the the clearly defined groups, at least in the first two days of training camp. I think they're going to be more mixing and matching of rotations from Rick Carlisle over the next week. But we did see—it's um, not a secret that the starting five, the quote-unquote starting five, even though that is does not mean it's the one that will start when the season opens or even when the preseason opens. But the group of Halliburton, Heald, Duarte, Jalen Smith, and Miles Turner. And then, you know, I saw it. I didn't know if Rick Carlisle would bring it up. Now I feel like it it might – too much is being made of the who won the practice question because it was kind of a – I didn't really specifically ask that, but I wanted to know – who he saw from a competitive nature that, that stood out. And, and he was quick on that first day to say that the blue group, you know, dominated. And that leads to a natural follow-up. And some on Twitter went at me and said, well, does that mean the starters are no good? I was like, well, I didn't want to say this, but I can say this in the podcast. Plenty of times when I was on the JV team, we beat the varsity. Sure. Did that mean we were going to be the, if you trotted us out there to, for the varsity game, that we were going to win or we would be better? No. But I love the response the next day. And even that Tyrese Halliburton, whether he followed me on Twitter or it got retweeted, he's like, I heard Rick was talking about uh, us getting dominated. <laughs> Let's ask him in, in day two. Now, I don't think we're going to do this every single day, but it's the competitive nature that I like. And, uh, you know, trying to see who, who, what is the pecking order? And there is even uh, not to go down. And this is probably a topic for a week or two into the season, but. There's a, there's a battle there in, like, backup four five-ish. You know, I mentioned all the centers. Terry Taylor's looking really good. But O'Shea Brissett, I'm sure, he doesn't want to back down from a challenge.
0: No doubt. And Goga Batase, as well, is listed in those uh, just influx of centers that you have, the abundance of centers that you have, too. And, and Rick Carlisle also made a comment at practice on Tuesday where he said he, he feels like this is such a deep group. And I think what he's getting at is – in, in a normal hierarchy and structure, the second unit beating the first unit probably is a significant storyline. Not that it never happens. Of course it happens. You practice as much as you do. You're all pros. But I think, I think what he's getting at is his second unit has a lot of young talent on it. And so it's not necessarily shocking to see the second unit beat the first unit right now the units are this one and two are Tyrese Halliburton is the ones are Tyrese Halliburton Chris Duarte Buddy Heal Jalen Smith Miles Turner the second group is TJ McConnell Ben Matherin Aaron Neesmith uh, Terry Taylor and Isaiah Jackson there's no doubt that that first unit is better but there's not a massive drop-off because you don't have guys who are, many guys who are in their late 20s and in their prime. You have Healed and you have Turner, but uh, Tyrese Halliburton is still young, albeit the most talented guy on this team. Chris Duarte is still a second-year player. We only just got to see Jalen Smith, and on the flip side of that, you have a veteran point guard in T.J. McConnell. You have a couple tremendous athletes in Matherin and Jackson, uh, and, and Smith has been around a good organization, is in his third year and terry taylor's clearly shown he can play so i think that's what rick carlisle's getting at is look we got a lot of positional battles to go through and then as you just touched upon a couple of guys not listed in that grouping of 10 brissette goga Batase, uh first of all these are not cast in stone and second of all they have something to say about that and have you know moments in the nba where they've you know had had been difference makers and have had Positive play as well. So I think maybe going into preseason here as you're starting to look at goals or or things you might be looking for. Look, Tyrese Halliburton is gonna be your starting point guard. And I also think it's a fascinating dynamic and maybe a storyline for our next podcast that so we can get into a little bit deeper. Your point guards are Tyrese Halliburton, TJ McConnell. Halliburton is one of the best assisters already in the NBA. McConnell per minute on the floor is always up there with the highest assist rates in the league. And that's what they hope to have out of Nemhard. So I think you have three point guards here who are going to be excellent at setting up everybody else, which I think is key for development. But as you start to say, what do I look for in the preseason here? Uh, Well... Tyrese Halliburton is undoubtedly going to be your starting point guard, and Miles Turner is undoubtedly going to be your starting center. So I'm not trying to suggest that there's five jobs up for grabs, but I do think there's a lot of potential for a lot of movement should the right guy, um, you know, have taken a leap and, and and show a lot. And so I think from a preseason perspective, look, I mean, going into last year, if everybody was healthy, there was zero doubt who the starting five was, and I think that. Has that was a big qualifier
1: if everyone is healthy. yeah,
0: And I, and, and I hope we're done saying that. I, how many times have we used that phrase? It's almost nauseating to say it now. But if everybody was healthy, you knew who your starting five was here. If everybody's healthy here, you have a couple pretty good ideas, right? But there's so much that could change, and and from the second unit to the third unit as well.
1: And it could be, to me, I was asked the question at the golf outing by uh, Kevin and Quarry, and it was like they were thinking maybe Matherin just starts – the year, and I said I, I, I my guess would be Chris Duarte and, and Matherin off the bench, and that's proven what we've seen thus far. The one thing I'll say, kind of to wrap things up, is we don't want to give away too much right now. This is just podcast number one, um, but the next time we'll we'll come to you, we'll have a lot more to discuss and, and to break down. I think I saw or heard that Carlisle, Rick Carlisle had mentioned 11, maybe even 12-man rotation. What I think that means is I think that's pretty hard to do in a game, but what I think qualifier if everyone's healthy, uh, you'll see moving forward this season is this could be a Goku Batase backup center night and then maybe a week that he doesn't. And then, hey, you tap him on the shoulder. And it depends on a little bit how many you know guys are beat up ahead of him or even what the second unit centers look like um, in the opposition. And so it's it's 11 or 12 guys that could play on any given night. But it'll be sort of game plan or situation specific. Where tonight, it's, and they probably would know it. Maybe they wouldn't, but it might be one of those things that before the game, the coaches say, "Okay, O'Shea, you're you're gonna get you're gonna get twenty twenty five minutes tonight. You need to be ready." And there may be another night where you you, ha- you better be ready. But I'm not going to you first. Like mean, that that might be how things work. This is just. Conjecture on my part, I I would think it's hard to to play 11 or 12 because you do need to get into a little bit of a flow to be able to feel like you were able to show what you're capable of. And if you don't, especially if you're competing for playing time, you you almost try too hard. And if you get a five minute stretch and that's not to say someone couldn't make a mistake and go (laughs) go to the bench and not come back or foul trouble um, necessitates a, a switch in the rotation. But we're going to see everybody get a chance at different times of season, and it is one of the beauties of of having a season like this. You can, you can try different things different nights, and you're really no worse for the wear.
0: Yeah, and I think if you look at last year, for example, there were probably 10, 11, 12 guys that had the ability to make the rotation. <clears throat> but what's important to note is last year was so different uh, because you went into the season with a very different mindset in terms of what your goal was. And so, you know, guys like, remember opening night, I, I don't even know, O'Shea Brissett either didn't play or barely played. And, play. and, and Goga Bataze, you know, was outside of the rotation. I think there is a much bigger picture plan in place now. And I think exactly mm-hmm. what you said um, is the most likely scenario. And I think it's also Carlisle's messaging, too, to his guys, that 12-man rotation means you know we believe in all 12 of these guys for the ability to make the rotation and our rotations probably are not uh, totally set so uh, we are recording this here late in the week preseason is still a few days away we'll get this up as as soon as physically possible obviously if you're listening it'll be up and and, and hopefully um, something, that you'll be able to have for your weekend. But let's quickly, before we end this, um, let's talk about broadcast plans here for the preseason and anything else you want to talk about as it relates to the TV broadcast.
1: As is the case for many years previously, the official release has not gone out, but we are broadcasting via Valley Sports, two preseason games. Those games will be the two home games. So you'll need to try to figure out, um, if you're interested, I know the radio We'll have things covered for the Charlotte and, and New York game and maybe League Pass or um, MSG on Friday. I mean, maybe you can figure out ways. Uh, but Bally Sports, once you get to those two home preseason games, it looks like right now, and again, the, the official release is not out, but it would seem as though a pretty good chance that every night that the Pacers play moving forward would be on Bally Sports. No pre-post coverage for those two preseason games. and I don't think our broadcast plan is finalized yet. If you watched, I did want to kind of clarify. I had someone reach out and say, there's been a lot of talk about Bally Sports Plus. If you watched the Pacers on Bally Sports last season, the same way you watched them last season, you are going to be able to watch them this season. There's nothing additional needed. If you were unable to last season, for any number of reasons that you did not have access to the channel, you now will have the ability to purchase through Ballet Sports Plus. This is just my public service announcement. You can figure out uh, the details on how to do so, but it is at least available to you now if you want to watch the games. And I, it's our job to not just the broadcasters and the players, but it's a kind of a team effort. It's our job to make the, make it worth your while. And I think we'll do the very best that we can to, to provide a good product. And I think that the team will work hard and, and they'll hopefully be entertaining as well. And uh, you know, all, all systems go, it looks as terms of us traveling. So hopefully I can do even um, an even better job than the last few years of some of that in-game reporting by being at all the games and not just uh, sitting in a room staring at a, a monitor. So I'm um, looking forward to being back to normal, looking forward to the season. And the, the next time we podcast... Pat will be married, the Pacers will have played two games, and and Fan Jam will be right around the corner.
0: we got to mention Fan Jam. Yeah, Fan Jam coming up, so a lot, I guess, is going to happen. (laughs) In In no particular order. Yeah, a lot's going to happen here in the next, uh, next few days and in between the next couple of podcasts. Do you remember off the top of your head, real quick, it would have been early March 2019, the last road game?
1: I do. I was in – it was in Dallas. Okay. So it was, the, it was a, one of those long and kind of winding road trips that we were on where you know, we went from east to west, and then I think Dallas uh, was, the, was the end of it. And I can remember playing on a Sunday in Dallas, and the last couple of games on the trip, we were, we were getting our temperature taken. It did not happen at the start of the trip. In the middle of the trip, we were starting to get our temperature taken. And I believe it was girls state finals um, and and boys sectional night because I was in my hotel room in Dallas and I was starting to say, yeah, a couple people asked if I wanted to go to dinner, get a bite to eat. And I said, yeah, I think I'm just going to stay in. I I don't know. It just feels weird out there. And even at that game, um, you know, Miles Turner had a meet and greet where he was helping out a a youngster that had been in, um, had been bullied and had been treated poorly. And You know, they were kind of hugging and high-fiving, and I'm like, this might not be happening for a while like this. And then uh, the Pacers had the game against Boston was the last game before the shutdown. So Dallas was the last road trip, and the first one I'll be on will – actually, I haven't even gotten – it's crazy. I don't even have the schedule all memorized. I know there's three home games. What's the first road game? That's a good question. I know it's a long road trip. I believe it's a five-gamer or four-gamer, and it concludes with two in Brooklyn – uh, the last one on Halloween night, but what is the actual first road game?
0: The first road game is in Philadelphia, Monday, October 24th. Then a quick trip to Chicago, Washington, Washington. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, a lot of
1: Eastern conference action to start with. So, yeah.
0: so that'll be, uh, by my quick rudimentary math, that's two years and seven months in between road trips. So <laughs> I bring that up because, uh, that'll be for you, for Chris, for Quinn, Uh, And for Mark Boyle as well, the first on-site – well, his first on-site road broadcast will be uh, the preseason – Opener as well. So we are excited to have everybody back. Uh, I'll be in the studio in downtown Indianapolis for for the first time doing a game in that long. So it's exciting to get back to our normal ways of life and and hopefully being able to broadcast the game uh, at the very best of our ability. On the radio side in Indianapolis, 93.5, 107.5 FM. Along the radio network, you can also get us uh, streaming now on the Pacers app. I believe that has been figured out. That was a little bit of a challenge when the app was upgraded last year, but I believe that's back in. And a lot of people don't know about this, but there is something called Audio League Pass. It's only ten dollars, I think, for the whole year, and it gets you every single radio broadcast uh, for any team around the country. It's the best bargain out there. So if you're out and about in your car, or perhaps you don't get the signal um, if you're not in Indiana, and let's say you're out and about in Texas or something, ten dollars Audio League Pass. And if you have
1: Sirius XM, in Sirius as XM well. as
0: well. Yes. Yeah. So those are ways to catch us outside of the general. Indiana area that'll wrap up our pre -pre preseason edition of the sideline guys powered by GameBridge for JJ I'm Pat we will talk to you next week